Hello and welcome to Pursuit of Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Daria Tiesler. It's a beautiful sunny day and I have a pleasure to record this program, this podcast with James Ballet, who is specializing in a different way of looking at weight loss and your metabolism. Remember, our podcast is about health optimization and performance optimization, and we look at at things with 360-degree vision, and we are open for anything new that comes. And definitely what we're going to discuss today with James has its place because both of us experienced this in a clinical practice as well. We have some scientific evidence that can back us up. So once again, dear James, welcome to Pursuit of Wellness podcast. Thank you so much for coming and giving your contribution to sharing this important message about a different way of looking at weight loss. Great to be here. Fantastic, and thank you for taking an invitation. I know that you are very busy and there is so much uh, happening uh, in your life and around uh, business you're running. Uh, so I go straight to the point and please let us know who is James, a few, more, a few words about yourself and why you're so dedicated to health and peak performance optimization. Sure. Well, you know, I'm the educational co-chair at the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. I taught for 17 years at the College of Medicine and Pharmacy at the University of Cincinnati in natural therapies, uh, pioneering that kind of getting that back into the uh, college um, scene. And then in addition to that, um, obviously work with uh, athletes in all five major league sports, clinical director of the Pro Football Hall of Fame Performance Health Program, I uh, have written 22 books, four databases uh, on natural therapies, and I'm passionate about it because at an early age, I was into training. I ran into difficulties with my health, went to someone in 1985 uh, that actually put me on a path towards peak performance. Like, you know, how should I eat? What's the value of managing my stress? What is, what's gut health about? What about managing cortisol? Uh, all of these things were introduced to me very early in my career, and it launched me into this value proposition that's been the ethos for me in whatever business that I do, which is, you know, people deserve vitality at every stage in life. Uh, and so, you know, had a, a, probably the largest clinic doing this kind of work in the country, uh, in the U.S., uh, and uh, just very passionate about it day in and day out. Uh, next week, I'll, I'll be doing 17 hours of education to doctors all surrounding uh, the issues around managing people's uh, biochemistry in order to make them help them to attain their peak health. Uh, that, that's why I'm speaking with you, because uh, the way I know you is uh, through uh, A4M. I'm doing the, uh, this uh, long course of um, a fellowship uh, in functional medicine as a part of my uh, further education and digging deeper into what uh, what is really a functional and precision, precision medicine. Uh, but also why um, I said I have to talk to you is uh, there are two reasons. One is my uh, own personal uh, journey as an athlete and uh, you were lucky you someone put you on the path of knowing how stress and digestion and everything and immunity inflammation are going to affect the peak performance I was not that lucky <laughs> and at early age I got um, injured as an athlete and I couldn't continue my journey uh, later on I realized actually my uh, adrenals on my brain <laughs> was a little <laughs> bit overdoing right and um and i couldn't uh, and basically i got hcl uh, injury and i know that there are some research that are pointing out that there is some exhaustion of material at the adrenal level or uh, looking up on the brain but then second thing is um a weight loss module out, uh, on a4m uh, I said, oh my goodness, I love him because he actually says what I see in my clinical practice. Uh, I've been practicing much less than uh, you, uh, James, but um, 
and really um, focused on traditional way of looking at functional medicine. And I really don't want to miss the root causes of why people cannot lose weight or they regaining weight. Weight. That's why I'm speaking with you uh, today. So it's an exciting time for so many people because uh, um, a right time when we have to go beyond calories in and out. Don't you think that way, James? Yeah, for a long time now. I mean, I've realized that, you know, people would come in frustrated because they're saying, oh, I ate this way. I mean, I took myself down to this many calories, which, first of all, when you we start to starve yourself of calories, you end up losing muscle mass instead of losing fat mass, which is key because muscle is your currency of metabolism and the currency of aging. And so you have to develop strategies that maintain lean muscle mass. And then the second thing is, is they'd say, well, I'm doing all this caloric restriction and I'm doing all this exercise and I'm not moving the needle. And, you know, it's, it's clear uh, that there are some people who are lucky that they can simply restrict their calories uh, and they can exercise more and they lose weight. And that typically will happen maybe more in younger people sometimes. But as we get older, it becomes more and more difficult as all the various stressors on our metabolism start to bring their full weight on, you know, how our chemistry is performing. And so, yeah, I, I've, you know, I'm, when I designed a program for Lifetime Fitness, which was a million and a half fitness members, the whole title of it was weight loss is more than calories in and calories out and how much you exercise. So it's incredibly important for people to understand that, that there, there are many more factors involved and successful management of your metabolism than simply, you know, how many calories am I eating? I am very uh, happy that you're sharing that because um, you said something and I even uh, wrote myself down, lacking. And I agree with you. There are people, especially a young, younger one, that they're going to be lucky. Uh, they're going to lose uh, weight or body fat. <laughs> we discussed that on, uh, at some point uh, on calorie in and out and e increase of the en energy expenditure. But my, to my practice are coming people who kind of did this. And they're running with lots of chronic issues, health issues, and they've done calorie in and out they've trained like crazy usually i'm telling them stop to training like crazy because that's probably <laughs> setting yeah. you up for not for not good uh, trajectory uh, but that word lucky i think uh, we need to um people need to think more about that that we are not the same and we're going to um have predisposition to gain weight and lose weight in a different uh, way uh, fantastic what does functional medicine approach to weight loss mean? How we have to understand this? Well, you know, I think that um, one of the biggest things to understand when you hear the term functional medicine or integrative medicine or regenerative medicine or precision medicine, all of them are basically saying a similar thing, that we're going to look at where the metabolic processes that trigger inflammation because in the end the term i really like is metaflammation mm. metabolic inflammation what are the things in my metabolism that is triggering a process that is making me store fat lose energy and lose mitochondrial capacity or the capacity to generate energy and so when you think of that you want to think about what's my stress response what is my uh, thyroid hormones like? What is my environmental exposure? What's my gut health like? Where is my sleep patterns like? You know, what is my diet lacking? What nutrients am I deficient in? What are the things, what are my hormone profiles like? Women that are, for example, estrogen dominant or bad metabolizers of estrogen and make, you know, a lot of estrone, they're going to store more fat. Uh, men with low testosterone. So there's all these boxes to check. And, and the amount of exercise that you get, right? You absolutely said it right. I have so many people where I cut their exercise down and they start to lose weight. <laughs> so, I, I, know, I, have, I agree with you, 100%. Yeah. And so to me, it's really just simply looking at where are the metabolic roadblocks that are in the way of your success and then developing strategies to eliminate those roadblocks so that you can begin to align your chemistry, turn off inflammation signaling, because not only will the inflammation, look, there's people that do a ketogenic diet, for example, and they'll lose weight, 
but it doesn't mean that they're healthy. Thin on the outside doesn't mean healthy on the inside. So it's aligning, you know, your goals for say body composition and where you want to be, but also aligning your biochemical goals, which are every bit as important because the, those two things have to align. And then the third thing, of course, that aligns with that are things like structural issues and biomechanics, because you can have biomechanical issues that trigger inflammation, right? Your hip, your ankle, your knee, your back, your neck, things are causing pain. When you trigger pain, it starts to create more cortisol, which starts to create more insulin resistance. So it's this, this integration of understanding you as a whole person that allows you to really organize your metabolism and create the goals that you're looking for. Yes, and exactly. We are talking about whole person approach to weight loss. That's why I'm speaking with you. <laughs> I think you're great uh, to share all of those insights. And like I said, everyone who listens is going to be very lucky. We're talking about metabolic inflammation. What is the relationship here between inflammation and metabolism or inflammation and weight loss. How yeah, so this to is, understand this. Yeah, sure. Um, so basically, when your body starts to increase the signaling of inflammatory compounds in the body, and that doesn't mean you ache. Uh, it just means that your immune system is sending more inflammatory signals through your body. And when you start to, and you can do that once again, through all the things I listed on my checklist. So you start to make more inflammatory compounds like interleukin-6 or TNF-alpha. Now, why is that important? Well, a couple of things start to happen. One is that interleukin-6 will start to basically make your insulin receptors become more sluggish. So you won't be as efficient as utilizing the glucose that you're taking in from your diet, either storing it as glycogen and maintaining a healthy glucose level. Instead, you start to make more insulin. And the problem with that is, is that when you start to make more insulin and become insulin resistant, is that you store fat better, you make more adrenaline and noradrenaline, you make more neurochemicals that make your blood vessels get more stiff, they get more sticky, you reduce blood flow into areas like your intestine, that starts to affect your microbiome, you start to get the die off of your microbiome, the, the, then you start to release something called endotoxin, and endotoxin circulates around and attaches to things like your thyroid gland, for example, and can at the very least, through the inflammatory process, decrease efficiency of how you make thyroid hormones, but in the furthest extension of that, you can create things like autoimmune thyroiditis. So in the shortfall, the answer is when you get metabolically inflamed, and you can do this by overtraining, right? Your body doesn't recover from Thank the inflammation. Yes. Yeah, you can, you can overtrain, you can trigger inflammation, you don't take enough rest, you train on that, that fact that you didn't get enough rest to begin with, and now you're allowing for that inflammation ignition to occur and burn through your body on a chronic level. The, the byproduct of that is, is without a doubt the development of in, you know, poor insulin receptor function, the development of insulin resistance, and the progression of that. So what happens over time is mitochondrial inefficiency. So as you get insulin resistant, your body has to change the way it makes glucose. And you go from making 38 packets of energy when you carry glucose into the cell to making two packets of energy when you, when you carry glucose into the cell. So it's a 19-fold difference in energy production and utilization. And so people then have to eat more because they're more inefficient. And when they eat more, they drive their insulin resistance and then they store more fat. So that's the, you know, the, the, the uh, you know, kind of the down and dirty on it is that with metabolic inflammation comes inefficient metabolism. Mm -hmm. Great. And what uh, causes the metabolic inflammation? We know that we mentioned here training, right? What else uh, that 
you know, audience or people who listen could sure. be aware of in their lifestyle, in food and, uh, you know, outside environments. Sure. Mm-hmm. sure. So, I mean, the obvious is, look, if you have deficiencies in nutrients like magnesium, something as simple as magnesium, the low magnesium status is probably the highest correlation to the development of metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance in the march towards diabetes and obesity. So if you're low in magnesium, it's a problem. But all the essential minerals and vitamins need to be in your body at a minimum. So let's just say, do you have nutritional adequacy from the trace mineral uh, perspective? Then it comes to what is my stress hormones like? Have I flattened my cortisol curve? Meaning my body is now in a chronic state of fight or flight. I'm releasing cortisol and no longer have a diurnal pattern of how I release stress hormones because it's supposed to drop down dramatically at night. You're supposed to make melatonin so that you go into deep sleep and then you restore your hormones and neurochemicals for the next day to be able to be efficient for the next day. And when you don't do that, you actually reset your beta cells of your, of your pancreas and you, you reprogram your insulin release for the next 24 hours when you're not sleeping well. So sleep and stress, that's a biggie. The next one, of course, would be environmental uh, burden. So people that, you know, pesticide exposures, toxic metals, that can be an issue. Vectors, so things like biotoxin, viruses, bacteria. So you could, you know, that could be an issue. And then, of course, there's the issue of gut permeability, meaning that we get a leaky gut is the popular term. And that can be induced by stress. It can be induced by drug therapy. So if you're on oral contraceptives, if you're on antibiotics, if you're on proton pump inhibitors for acid blocking medications, oral steroids, anything like that, that could shift the permeability of your gut, where now you're starting to react to food. So food sensitivity and food allergies can play a significant role in weight gain. Um, and, and so we, so as we run through this cascade, it's, it, you know, you know, stress and sleep, you know, uh, diet and micronutrients, gut permeability changes, environmental burdens, exposure to vectors, hormone shifts as we're aging. And it's not even as when we're aging now, I see a lot of younger people with big hormone disturbances. So do you have the right testosterone? If you're a man, what's your ratio of hormones? Uh, if you're a woman at your, you know, in your time of life. So, you know, as you look at what throws off metabolic inflammation, it could be just stress and worry, right? Am I doing deep breathing exercises to reset my nervous system? You know, because so many people are stuck in sympathetic dominance, they shallow breathe, their, their pulse is above 62 at resting, which is means it's too high. Their blood pressures in the morning to night don't change. It should be dipping, but it's not. That means you're stuck in sympathetic dominance. All those things weigh in on whether or not you're triggering metabolic inflammation in addition to, you know, overtraining, which is very common these days. I mean, people don't understand, you know, when you go to get to a trainer, a trainer shouldn't be doing programs as if you're a pro athlete, because guess what? The difference between a professional athlete and the everyday person isn't how much muscle they have on their body. It's how efficient their nervous system is from recovering from an exercise program. So it's neural efficiency is where it really becomes important. So you have to understand, um, you know, adequacy, it isn't how much you train, it's how well you rest and recover. So those are all the key factors. Uh, and overeating, of course. And sorry, and what? Overeating. Like people overeating. eat too much. They, yeah, people yeah. eat too much. They eat too often. They eat too late. They pick the wrong foods. Um, you know, then they get stressed out and don't sleep enough. And so, you know, that's a big, big issue. Yes, and, uh, you know, that's why I don't want to uh, completely um, cut this idea of uh, energy expenditure because, and calories in and out because it's there right we this is working right and we cannot forget about this right so um this is not uh, my my point here and you and you understanding what i'm saying is just that um you know when weight loss or fat loss does not work maybe uh 
people or who coach or who train or nutritionists or even um, customers, they have to start to question why is this not working? Because despite eating below, right? And usually those diets are very low, 1,000 calories, 1,200 calories, and then training seven times a week uh, of cardio of one hour, right? You should be changing, <laughs> right? You should be dropping. But if this is not working, I want that people start to question what else is happening that my body responds the way it does respond. No, that's 100% right. It's not, it, it, it does matter how many calories you eat. You know, I, I did research in weight loss. Uh, we had a contract research organization for several years. And we would have people that came in that were overweight and we would, and then we're going to do a study on it. Right. And we would do a dietary intake on them and their estimation of the calories they took in would be, for example, on average, they would say, Oh yeah, I'm taking in about 2000 calories a day. And then you would do a dietary inventory on them and they were taking in 4,000 calories a day. So it really does matter that you figure out how much you need to eat in order to get through your days, I always teach people about a sliding scale of carbohydrates. If all you do is train 45 minutes a day and you're sitting at your desk doing Zoom appointments, especially in our new pandemic world, if you're sitting most of the day, you don't need to worry about a pre-workout drink, a post-workout drink, an intra-workout drink. You know, what am I going to fuel myself with two hours after I train? You know, it's in reality people are overnourished. So what's important is teaching them how to uh, eat nutrient dense foods. You know, so nutrient density. So that means more and more vegetables into your diet, uh, and not necessarily calorie density. And then and then finding that sweet spot depending on your level of activity. So you should with caloric reduction, and exercise, uh, with, with proper nutrition, you should lose weight. Unfortunately, more and more people are not. And that means that they've got other issues that are holding them back. So you're exactly right. Uh, and we should not, um, we shouldn't throw away the concept of calories matter. They do, but they, it just doesn't the only thing that matters. Yeah, exactly. It's not the only thing that matters. And uh, that's what I wanted to also share here and underline and stress. Uh, so kind of, um, you know, there is less of uh, fear of eating and less of uh, fear of um, these negative emotions that are uh, surrounding the idea of calories in and out, because that is what is my experience, right? People come in, then they have in the panic attacks that they are having one raising, right? Uh, and and that is what uh, is not going to create uh, vitality because also the mental and emotional health is part of um, functional medicine, precision medicine approach to weight loss that we are discussing right now. Um, I have a question. What do you think or how can we explain this? Fat loss and body composition or weight loss? What people should be focusing on and why? Well, I mean, I think the, the, the big thing to understand is that your muscle may be the biggest endocrine organ in your body because we release myokines, right? There are all kinds of muscle signaling compounds that are generated from our muscle tissue. So as we age, you know, the big problem right now, especially in the U.S., is that we're worried about um, sarcopenia or loss of muscle tissue in the over 55 age group. And the reason that that's so important is when you think about it, is that when you start to lose muscle, you become structurally and biomechanically more unstable, right? And what do we worry about in people as they're getting older? It's functional stability. Are they going to fall and hit their head? That, are they going to crack a hip? So it's important to focus on understanding how do I get to fat loss without losing too much muscle? Now, in people who are you know, significantly overweight or obese, it may be that they need to lose some muscle along with fat. But our goal should be is to focus on getting rid of visceral fat, 
the ectopic fat that's surrounding organs that are that that is that is you know and that fat is metabolically active it creates inflammatory compounds so we want to understand that and look one size doesn't fit all for diet if you're an apoe three four or four four genotype you have to count your saturated fat there's no way to get around it you know being a fan of coconut oil and eating grass-fed beef isn't going to be for you you're going to have to watch your sat fat. Otherwise, it's going to trigger inflammatory chemistry, most likely. And so it's understanding that, you know what, as much as we want to make everybody vegan, or we want to make everybody paleo, or we want to make everybody pescatarian, or what everybody has their theosophy or religiosity about on diet, there's probably some unique characteristics to an individual that need to be teased out in order to truly get them to get to their ideal lean mass to fat mass composition. And I think it's important for people to focus on that. So get your body fat done, use ultrasound, use DEXA, measure what's going on. So that, and, and look at blood markers that say, am I winning the war against metabolic inflammation or not? One of those blood markers would be well, you know, one of the most basic ones are lipids. I mean, everybody thinks that lipids don't matter, but the reality is, as you fractionate lipids, it's not just about LDL and HDL and triglycerides. Triglycerides are incredibly important, right? Those, those need to be managed. And when your triglycerides are going up, it means you're not managing your, your glucose well. But other than that, there's things like oxidized LDL or meaning um, LDL cholesterol that's been rusted which triggers your immune system to attack it and cause plaquing. So oxidized LDL, um, apolipoprotein B, a, a protein fraction of LDL cholesterol. Um, looking at things like fibrinogen, how sticky is your blood? You know, that's important. Mean platelet volume, which is easy to get on your red blood cell uh, studies. If it's high, you have metabolic inflammation. One of the earliest signs of metabolic inflammation is dyslipidemia, so changes in your cholesterol. And obviously, stress is known. Elevated cortisol causes more cholesterol, so does low thyroid, which makes sense because it causes metabolic stress when your cholesterol, when your cortisol is high, and if your thyroid hormone is performing low, you're going to have metabolic stress. You'll gain weight. Um, and that, that's kind of how I uh, teach it when I teach about uh, my metabolic code platform is teaching about the, the relationship between thyroid, adrenal, and pancreas, glucose and insulin, cortisol, and thyroid hormones. When that's intact, you have energy and your weight is where you need to be. And when it's not intact, you have weight gain and you have poor thyroid performance and fatigue. And so it's important to see that. The other thing that starts to happen is people get anemias. They don't store their ferritin well. And so if you see people where they have decent iron, but poor ferritin, that, that's typically a sign of chronic metabolic inflammation. And you can see that uh, mean platelet volume would be one of the things that, that would tell you that. And then the other one would be obviously looking at people who have low ferritin status. And then obviously there's other markers like C-reactive protein, homocysteine, um, deoxyguanosin, uh, these are all markers that can show you, well, where am I at in that inflammatory cascade? Cortisol being one you would measure as well. I, people can get a serum morning cortisol and it has value. I also like a salivary or urinary four-point cortisol to find out whether people have lost their diurnal pattern for their cortisol. And blood sugar and insulin, of course. Blood sugar and insulin. I love uh, so much um, the point of um, ferritin and uh, sorry, uh, yes, ion ferritin uh, storage, right? Ion storage, because that is what I often see uh, actually in my female clients. They come in with, um, with weight uh, loss issue. And, you know, not always they are presenting symptoms of being tired and fatigued, but for some reason, and you explained this very well, right? I got it. I'm like, okay, there is thyroid issue. There is the gut issue, weight loss issue. I'm saying, okay, let's look at ferritin. Usually this ferritin is uh, bottom low, right? The border of being uh, deficient, right? Very, very low, right? So um, so now actually I would be learning from what you just said uh, further. And uh, thyroid issue, 
again, I see this all the time, right? TSH goes uh, to hypothyroidism, right? T3, T4, but then this Hashimoto antibodies also coming up uh, and often in a, in weight loss uh, patients, right? How do we have to then explain to the patient that this is a client, that this is happening as a result of other factors, because this is not just, oh, thyroid decided to don't work or underwork, underperform. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You're making a good point. I mean, the reality is when you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, that means that you now have an autoimmune disorder. And of course, autoimmune disorders now are highly linked to disruption in the gut microbiome so that the immune system in the gut is disrupted. And that actually occurs due to, once again, I talked about circulating endotoxin. And it's other, the other term for that is lipopolysaccharide. And so as the gut breaks down and your, and your gut microbiome is disturbed and you start to have bacteria dying off, uh, it really, um, that lipopolysaccharide circulates. Your liver can't filter it anymore. Your lymph is overwhelmed. So your lymphatics become sluggish and you get puffy feeling and you're holding water, right? Is why, am I, why do I gain five pounds of water between morning and night? Well, you're probably reacting to food. You've got a food allergen you don't know about. And Hashimoto's thyroiditis is food antigen-induced Hashimoto's thyroiditis. So it's not just about your thyroid deciding not to work. It's the fact that your immune system has been supercharged now and is attacking your thyroid. And that's why people with autoimmune thyroid are actually supposed to be checked for celiacs as well as type 1 diabetes, at least on an annual or every two-year basis. So there's a very high correlation at that point to gluten intake and the development of autoimmune thyroiditis. Of course, there's other things like, you know, Epstein-Barr virus and other things or toxic metals could also trigger that. At least it's, in, you know, somewhat in the literature there. But the big factor on that is the gut. Yes. And, and that's, uh, you, we talk in gut and that's what I always see. And again, I'm coming back to uh, female clients because sometimes they don't even realize why I'm checking um, the gut uh, with the, like I'm doing a GI map uh, test, right? And I'm looking at what's going on there. Right, because it's so important for uh, female metabolism of estrogen and the detoxification. And then the, the diet, right, doesn't matter what diet they're going to do. If they not uh, efficiently remove estrogen and the, the, uh, the one is estrogen, right? I'm right? You said estrogen? Absolutely, estrogen. Yes. So, it, so here's what right. happens. When, when women, as women age, they make less estradiol you know, they, they make less estradiol and they make more estrone. So as you enter perimenopause, it is really important to understand that as you're losing estradiol, you still got to make estrogen. And so what happens is, is your adrenal glands, your liver and your fat tissue kick in estrone production. Now, depending on how, whether if you're eating a high fat, fat diet, if you're eating a high sugar, high carb diet, if you're eating a very high protein diet, if you're not getting enough fiber, any of those factors will make you alter the way you carry that, as that metabolized estrogen out of your body. And, and then the other factor is, do I make more unfriendly estrogen, more estrone metabolites that lead me to more risk for cancer, like ovarian cancers, fibroids, breast cancer, fibrocystic breast, weight gain, that's called the estrone metabolites that move down that bad path. And, and of course, we need to manage both. So I need to get enough fiber in the diet in order to lower my beta-glucuronidase, which is an enzyme that gets upregulated with unfriendly flora, and it, it uncouples the estrone from the handle that was put on it in your liver, and then that estrone then recirculates and stores in your body and creates estrogen dominance. So the estrogen piece in women is incredibly important. And by the way, it can be very important as men as they're aging, because men become estrogen dominant more as they age, especially if their testosterone is being lowered as they're aging due to a variety of factors. So yes, you bring up some very relevant points as it relates to estrogen and the fact 
that when your gut's broken down, you're doing a GI map and they got a bunch of unfriendly flora and dysbiotic flora, you're probably making that enzyme beta-glucuronidase and you're uncoupling that estrogen. Yes, and what I want to uh, point here to uh, everyone who listened out that we digging in what else would be happening, right? We're going beyond calories in and out, right? But mm, I want to refer what you said uh, at some point, uh, James, that, um, you know, the nourishment and vegetables and the fiber is relevant through all stages. Doesn't matter if you're doing the beginning foundational work when you are looking at the portion size, calorie in and out, or then you are realizing, you know what, maybe I need to change the approach. This is relevant uh, across, right? So don't get uh, overwhelmed here with what we're sharing, uh, but we're doing this for purpose. We're doing this to open you up. And uh, so you begin asking questions, why? this is happening or what else is uh, happening here. So I want to just a little bit calm our audience down because it's so much uh, good stuff, but maybe overwhelming <laughs> for men, right? Well, you know uh, what? Here's the thing I've always said to people. Yes. To manage your metabolism, it's work, but it's worth it. And, if, yeah. and what I mean is if it was easy today for everyone to maintain their ideal weight, there would be way more people at their ideal weight. It has become more and more challenging with environmental burden and stress and lack of nutrient density in our foods and improper teaching of what foods do to us, what stress does to us, what lack of sleep does to us. It, it, we, we just, we, we, I think people are at a loss to understand how they can get there. And what happens is when you get under stress, and now all of a sudden you start to crave food, meaning that you know you should do the right thing, but you get under stress and all of a sudden you get home for a long day at work and you look at that box, box of cookies or that bag of chips. Um, you know, you, you, it, the craving pattern overwhelms your desire to be well. Yes. Yes, yes, 100%. That's why we all, I'll always look at this as mindfulness. I look mental health, emotional health. I look at what's happened with me that I'm grabbing this food, right? That's what I'm trying to uh, always pass to, to my patients or, or clients and tell them, listen, try to stay aware um, so you know why you're grabbing And it's a matter of, look, uh, what people don't understand is food. if your cortisol levels are high, <laughs> you're going to trigger a need for dopamine. And if your dopamine pool is low, you're going to look for a reward. And you'll eat past being full. You'll want to rub those cookies on your head or that piece of bread as a way to cool your brain down, right? You eat past full because your brain is saying, just eat a little more and you'll feel better. And yet you'll eat past the actual signal that my belly is full because your brain needs that stimulus. So it's really important for people to understand you got to manage that stress. And sometimes it takes using a dietary supplement in order to do that, helping people to restore their stress response so that they don't overeat. Because a lot of times people end up feeling that they're weak or they don't have self-control. And it's because no one's explained to them that, look, that's a normal physiologic thing. And we have to we have to help you overcome that so that we can restore that uh, impulse control that you should have. Yeah, I agree with you. It's not just willpower, <laughs> right? I think if uh, I think many people has willpower, definitely everyone who is coming to uh, nutritional therapy, so you know, functional medicine practitioner wants to resolve the problem. So they do have willpower. Something is just not working. So finding out what is not working, and as you said, used maybe, maybe nutritional supplements or herbs, right? I like ashwagandha, rhodiola. I like to uh, go towards adaptogenic herbs. Maybe something, or magnesium, as you said, something that is going to help you uh, manage that situation, uh, this, uh, this state while you are under stress, right? So I think don't, uh, don't feel bad if you just you know, grab it this, but then try to find out why, why this is happening, why the stress triggers you that you cannot manage and you then reaching for sugar. 
Um, what if we we talked a little bit about uh, digestive health, right? You you talk about uh, lipoporosaccharides and how digestive health is important for um, for weight uh, weight loss. There is any any particular uh, like thing that people should know about digestive health? Well, and the number weight, one thing is take gain, the time gain. to chew your food. <laughs> Ah, that's so simple, right? Well, I, no know, one would expect that answer, I think. Yeah, drink water, chew food. It's like drinking um, water. Those are important. <laughs> and then obviously the, the thing to realize is that you really should, I'm a big believer that people should get their, their food uh, allergy and sensitivities tested. And I like it when they test not just their IgG, but IgG, IgE, IgG4, and the C3 complement immune response so that you get a complete picture of what am I responding to on food negatively that could be impacting my metabolism and triggering chronic inflammation. Because you could be eating something that you think is healthy, like almonds or drinking almond milk, because you know dairy is already a problem. And you could be sensitive to almonds, and it's also triggering inflammation. And so I'm a big believer that people should try doing elimination diets. We certainly do that with our metabolic uh, code platform, where we have people do a modified low-carb, low-inflammatory elimination diet, and then we start to re-educate if they can't get an allergy test or don't want to do allergy tests. Okay, let's do some food elimination and then reintroduce it after you know six to eight weeks, and let's figure out what is triggering your issues. Um, and so I think it's important that people get that. And they also have to understand that if you've had a rich history of antibiotic use when you were young um, or currently, if you're on oral contraceptives, if you're on proton pump inhibitors, if you take a fair amount of Advil, it, you know, there's a lot of different categories of drugs. In fact, 25% of the drugs on the market today influence the microbiome. 25%. And a lot of people are on drug therapy. Yeah, that's my latest ebook, actually. 25%. I did the drug-induced microbiome disruption. Yes. Um, is kind of the latest database I'm starting to, to create right now because it's obviously becoming more and more important that we understand it. I don't think we fully characterize or understand the microbiome yet. It's, you know, we're just now targeting. When you think of, you know, 15 years ago, you may see 100 articles a, a year come out on it. Now it's 100 articles a day, uh, basically. So, so you know, the, the knowledge base is, is, yes. is much greater <laughs> there. Uh, and so it's big to, to uh, you know, to understand that. And, and so that's the thing to understand is that when you eat, you need to digest your food. You may have, and if you eat too often and you eat, you know, you're, you're continually causing your body to release digestive enzymes, you could end up becoming digestive enzyme deficient in terms of your ability to secrete. So now I get bloated, I get gassy. You could be gassy because of fermentation. You could be gassy, but, you know, meaning that you've got unfriendly bugs in your gut and you're eating carbs and you're fermenting. Uh, or it could be because you're deficient uh, in enzymes. And, and that's why I'm a big believer in trying to teach people not so much like time-restricted eating, but, you know, when I was a kid growing up, and believe me, this is a long time ago at this point, um, you know, we had breakfast, we had lunch, we had dinner at about 5.30, and if you were a good little boy, maybe you had a snack at 7, and then it was all over. You know, you basically, you know, had a 12-hour fast every day. And now we make a big deal out of telling people to do a 12-12. You know, um, I'm not as much of a fan of doing consistent 16-8 fasts, which a lot of people are doing right now, because I think depending on where you're at, you might lack nutrient nourishment to vital organs, but you could do that a couple days a week uh, and, and, like, and allow your body to trigger autophagy, which is cleaning up the waste proteins and byproducts of your metabolism. And that's why it's important that you understand digestion as a function of what am I eating give digestive rest, allow my body at night to restore itself and allow my body to take in the nutrients for processing and energy utilization during the day. It's great because what you're saying is, um, it reminds me when, um, when I was, um, you know, growing, it was exactly the same, right? And this is the way I'm still eating, right? Like finishing seven, maybe eight, and then that's it, right? You don't eat until you wake up in the morning. And now we actually created a therapy from it, right? When this used to be kind of 
normal thing back um, back there back back many years uh, years ago. Um, I know that you are teaching uh, about fasting, so it's great also that you mentioning here that is a way we can uh, support our body with healing, with process, processes of uh, regeneration and I, restoration. Absolutely. I mean, I, uh, I teach correct? a lot about uh, the concept of fasting and why it's important. I think the biggest challenge is for most people, it's very difficult for them to fast. And I think today, because there's so much insulin resistance out there, that it's, it would probably need to be supervised in order to do it well. Doing it on your own, I think, is a little bit risky. But I do think that time-restricted eating and the use of, I mean, I might make it clear that I'm on the medical advisory board for uh, El Nutra, which developed the Prolon fasting kit, which came out of uh, the Keck Center for Longevity at the University of Southern California School of Medicine. Uh, and it's basically a kit that you do for five days that mimics the effect as if you were fasting. So you get the same kind of triggering of autophagy, metabolic health benefits, very similar to fasting while you get to eat food for a focused five days. But of course, it's a restricted calories. You're down around 1,100 down to 700 calories during the course of those uh, five days. But it's very specific macronutrients with some, I don't know, $50 million in research currently done on it. Uh, so it's very interesting. Um, when you look at the, you know, that aspect of, of, you know, how you can accomplish the effect of fasting, um, through maybe a focused five day pattern. And then the rest of the month, you just eat, you start to teach people how to eat responsibly. And if they could do that kit three or four times a year, it could have dramatic effects on cleaning up protein waste and improving efficiency of metabolism. I, I good, I, I'm really happy that you're sharing this, that certain things have to come with supervision. We cannot just jump into, and what I observe uh, now, as you said, everyone does fasting, the same as everyone does keto, the same as everyone did paleo at some time, right? We are a little bit different metabolically, we are a little bit different uh, biochemically, and uh, our physiology and biology is uh, unique unique to us and i think people need to start to recognize that maybe what works for me does not work for someone else and uh, vice versa otherwise it's becoming a little bit mishmash and i i feel this is also the what is happening uh, with that uh, fat loss or weight loss is the just consequence of this that we forgotten that we different and we have different genes, different predisposition, different um, ancestors. We coming from different, uh, you know, different countries, and all of this, uh, and parts of the world. And this is all That's going exactly to affect right. what is and, happening. And I with think us. there's some commonalities that we could all agree on. I really think that, you know, people can benefit by learning to eat a lot of vegetables. It doesn't mean that you have to be on a plant-based diet. It just means that. I know when I just get people to eat more vegetables and I make a standard rule, three best vegetables to every fruit. And I want you to be on low glycemic fruit. So berries, pears, apples, you know, green bananas to get the prebiotic fiber out of them. Uh, you know, try to stay away from the raisins and dried fruits and pineapple uh, and, and don't drink fruit juices, please. Uh, and, and, and I think if we can just get people to do some, some improvement in their plants in, as a part of their diet, everybody benefits from that. And then the shifts start to occur in the types of protein and fats that you can take in. And of course, how much grain you're able to take in or not, and what type of grain you're able to take in based on allergenicity, such as gluten. Um, you know, do you tolerate, you know, taking in some rice or not? I mean, a lot, you know, a lot of people are like, oh my God, you can't eat rice. People were eating rice and white, and white bread in the 1950s, and we didn't have an obesity epidemic. And we forget that. There's, it's, more, it's more than that. It's, you know, <laughs> why is it so deleterious to people today when they take in grains and bread? And it's more because we've become the problem. Uh, and I'm, I'm certainly not saying white bread is good. I'm just saying that we have to go beyond this thought of, you know, continually limiting people's diets to the point where, oh my God, I can't eat, I can't eat nightshades. I can't eat tomatoes. 
I can't have a grain. I can't, I can't, I can't. Um, because people don't end up successfully following highly restricted diets for long periods of time. So we have to figure out how to correct their gut health, make them efficient with their metabolism of their nutrients, teach them to eat foods that nourish their immune system. And that becomes our roadmap to success with better diversity of foods. And exactly, and this is what um, uh, kind of I wanted to, uh, and I mentioned at, at some point that, that the mental and emotional health that comes as a result of how we are restricting ourselves for a long period of time is going to influence uh, our weight loss results. We want or we don't want. So I think what you nicely said, making what is the like the uh, eating vegetables it's very well put on the science you can read lots of articles about that and then you look in uh, personalizing uh, intake of protein uh, carbohydrates and as you said at some point uh, fats as well james i've got last uh, last question here um what are your three tips on how to optimize body composition. Uh, and that's a big, well, that's a great question. I would say without a doubt, managing your stress, making sure that you aren't in excess sympathetic tone. So make sure your resting heart rate's below 62. If it's not work to get it below 62 and make sure your heart rate recovery is at least 10 beats per minute after you stop exercise for the first two minutes. Um, and that will give you an idea of how you're managing that sympathetic tone and autonomic tone. And that will get in. And, and so stress management is good. Getting adequate sleep is incredibly important for managing your metabolism. That's two. Number three is managing your food intake. So whether you adopt everything we talked about today or some of what we talked about today, um, Time restrict in terms of, you know, eat meals within an appropriate window of the day, get more vegetables into your diet, try to limit calorie dense foods and eat more nutrient dense foods. And that's a great start. And then after that, it starts to get into individuality of um, how much are you exercising? Be careful not to exercise too much. Do you have other, you know, buckets of problems like um, thyroid, like adrenal support or adrenal issues, hormonal issues, you know, what are the gut issues? Those things come secondary to create, you know, moving those big levers of taking in water, managing stress, appropriate food intake and sleep. James, thank you so much for joining Pursuit of Wellness podcast. You gave us so much and all those informations are very valid and I hope audience remember them and get back to them when weight loss goal approach on their list of things to do next week we discuss polycystic ovary syndrome with physician so guys don't miss this because there is so much misinformation how to actually treat and approach polycystic ovary syndrome and there are ways that you can support yourself with a healthy lifestyle and nutrition if you're experiencing difficulties with polycystic ovary syndrome stay safe and look after yourself goodbye